All right, um, we're going to spend a little bit of time tonight um, just getting oriented to Paul's letter to the Colossians. And uh, so if you want to open up to Colossians, um, that's where we'll end up. But as I've often been doing as we get to a new letter, I'm going to begin in Acts because it's always good to orient yourself uh, around the time frame that Paul was writing these letters uh, in the, the historical narrative in Acts. So um, let's, let's pray, and then we will get into the Word. Father, we thank you for this night and how your presence is here and how you um, just never run out of our grace uh, to pour out on those who are hungry for it, in need of it. And Lord, we're desperate for you every minute of the day. And it's that desperation that we bring to your word. We don't bring um, an, air of, an air of superiority. We don't bring uh, just academic curiosity. Lord, we bring desperation to your word. We're hungry for it, God. We are thirsty. And so I pray that you would, um, that you would fill us tonight, Lord, so that we could know you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts chapter 19 says that... Um, I'll just start in the beginning. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth... Oh, I have a map up here. This is, this is useful. If you can see it. Oh, yeah, that looks great. It doesn't look so good in the back, but this one's fine. Um, so this is really the area that Paul was uh, ministering to during his second missionary journey. And you can see where Jerusalem is down there on the bottom right-hand side. That's where things started off. And then Antioch is also sort of the the center of the Gentile church. Um, And those are the two kind of mission bases, big mission bases for the spread of the church in the first uh, 20, 30 years after after Jesus uh, ascended to the right hand of the Father. And so... The um, church of the Colossians is right there in an area called Asia. Now, we think of Asia as the largest of the continents. That's not what it was in ancient times. It was a, it was a province that was basically where Turkey is now. Okay? And it's on the east side of the Aegean Sea right there. On the west side of the Aegean Sea is Macedonia, Achaia, and Corinth is kind of the epicenter of that, the, the Greek side. And so on the east side, you have Turkey. On the west side, you have Greece. So just to kind of geographically uh, get our bearings. Um, there's Italy over there, the boot, um, and uh, Rome up there. And that's where Paul ends up, okay? So the church at Colossae, well, let me just back up. We'll, let me re- just get our bearings here in chapter 19. 
So, well, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. So he's on the east side there. He, he's coming from Corinth. All right. So he had ministered for a while in Corinth. And then at this point, his ministry is basically going to shift. He had been in Corinth, centered in Corinth for a number of years. And at this point, he's going to shift and he's going to be centered in and around Ephesus for about three years. So it's a significant frame of, of time. Okay. And the results of that uh, we'll see here in a second. And so this is when he asked them, you know, if they received the Holy Spirit. They said, no, we've just been baptized into John's baptism. It says, then they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul laid his hands on them and the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Apparently like next door. <laughs> he just shut up, set up shop next door. Um, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So there's Asia. This is when some guy named Epaphras was probably in Ephesus, maybe on business. Ephesus was a, was a very large city. And all this stuff was going on in Ephesus, I mean, over the course of two years. And it says that because of Paul's ministry and because of the work of the disciples in Ephesus, it said that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So that included the city Ephesus, but it also included every, all these cities up there. And so you see the little the, the zoom out thing, or zoom in thing. There's Ephesus, and there's this, uh, the Lycus River up there. And you see Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis, all in kind of a little cluster of villages. If you've been to Mexico, you can kind of get a picture of this, Right? Just sort of a, these villages were next to each other, but they were kind of their own thing. But they also probably knew a lot of people in, in all the villages. Um, just for reference, Ephesus is about 120 miles west of Colossae. So this would be like, I don't know, what, what city is 120 miles away? Bowling Green? Glasgow? Glasgow? Yeah. The, uh, the Barlow Homestead is... Uh, is, is about the distance that Ephesus was from Colossae. And then the other villages would be like Nicholasville, uh, maybe Paris, just kind of that, that relative distance. And so, that's going to be loud. Sorry, listeners of the recording. So then we get to Colossians. And actually, I want to... Go to the end, uh, chapter 4, verse 10. So when we, just to get kind of in our minds, Colossae, Laodicea, Hierapolis, and in some sense, Ephesus, that is when Paul talks about the Asians, the Asian churches, that's what we're talking about, all right? Uh, Asia is kind of the, the larger province that contains all those cities. 
Uh, and so Paul was not involved in the founding of the Colossian church, although it's because of his work in Ephesus that the Colossian church was founded. It's kind of the fruits of his work. And so this guy Epaphras, um, we don't know much about him other than he heard the word of the Lord and probably was filled with the Holy Spirit, went back to his hometown and just shared the gospel and planted a church. And so Paul is really coming alongside Epaphras in the work that he's done. And Paul gives Epaphras a lot of shout outs. He's like, man, this guy, he's just, he just got to work. He heard the gospel and he just put himself to work for the gospel. And that's why the church of the Colossians exists. Okay, so chapter uh, 4, verse 7 Well, okay, let me, let me say this before I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, he's not about the, the founding of the Colossian church, but he was based in uh, Ephesus for a few years. Um, Epaphras likely took the gospel from Ephesus to, Ephesus to Colossae. Okay, and so the, the, the letter to the Colossians has a special connection to two other letters, and that is uh, Ephesians and Philemon. Okay, probably Colossians and Ephesians were written around the same time. They're also known as two of the prison epistles. Now, a lot of traditional, uh, it's traditionally said that those prison epistles were written from his imprisonment in Rome. Uh, but there's also uh, theories out there, and they make a lot of sense to me. Uh, We can't know for sure, but it just makes a lot of sense as I read this and I kind of get my bearings in the geography and read some of the letters. It makes sense, and this is how the kind of the theory goes, that he at some point became imprisoned in Ephesus during the riots or during all the stuff. He was there for a lengthy amount of time. And he talks in, uh, I believe it's 1 Corinthians that he says, maybe 2 Corinthians, that he says that I fought with the beasts at Ephesus. Right? And we know from other places that when Paul talks about some of the um, trials that he went through, he mentions multiple imprisonments. Okay? So there wasn't just one imprisonment of Paul where he wrote all of the prison epistles. You know? And we, th- there was a very obvious imprisonment in Rome, and we usually that's why I think it just uh, gets attributed to that. But if you, if you think about this, and if we read this, imagine Paul imprisoned in Ephesus but hearing about reports about how the gospel has spread all throughout Asia, all right? And so he's writing these letters to the Ephesians, but actually um, it might be more broadly than just to the Ephesian church. It might be just kind of to all the Asian churches. He was writing Ephesians. And Colossians, he was, he was sending a letter with Epaphras. And it makes sense also, like, why would Epaphras and Onesimus, who are both Corinthians, why would they be all the way up in Rome giving Paul a report? I mean, that's a lot farther away. Does that make sense? It just So anyway, I don't think the, the, you know, the cores of Christianity are based on that, but it makes a ton of sense to me. All right. So chapter 4, verse 7. Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose— that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus. Now, Onesimus, Onesimus, Twosimus, um, yeah, Redsimus, Bluesimus. Um, 
that was that's kind of a joke that goes back many years with me and uh, Ben. Um, Onesimus, I can never read it without thinking of that. Um, Onesimus, our faithful brother, faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. It just makes a ton of sense that he's talking about what's going on here in Ephesus, right? And they're going back and forth between these outer villages and coming into the big city. And the word of the Lord is spreading throughout this whole Asian period of Paul's ministry. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is also called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, meaning he's a native Colossian, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea. Right? I just love having a map in front of us where we, all these names come out. It's like, oh, yeah, I can see this, right? Hey, this is going to get to Colossae. You're going to have interaction with those brothers down the road in Laodicea. Greet them. And when this, uh, let's see, and to Nympha and the church in her house, right? Just these, I mean, you get a great picture of this, uh, of, of just kind of the life in the small communities that, that, of the gospel that were popping up. To Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Some people think that might be uh, the letter of Ephesians. Uh, they kind of were written in, in tandem. And they, they, um, they have the same kind of structure where Paul really talks about just the depths of, of knowing Jesus and then how that plays out in, in everyday life. The, uh, the kinds of lives that are touched and gripped by the truth of the gospel. What they look like in very practical ways. Um, and then Philemon, I said, also has a special collect- connection with Philemon. Philemon was a wealthy person, native of uh, Colossae. And his, he had an escaped slave named Onesimus who I guess made his way to Ephesus and ran into Paul and got saved. And Paul, this is wild, sends him back. He says, you know what? The best thing to do is to go back. But then his letter to Philemon says, I want you to receive him back, not as a piece of escaped property, but as a brother. He's one of you. And even in in Colossians, he says, uh, Onesimus, who is one of you, a faithful brother. Faithful and beloved brother. So pretty cool. I mean, there's a lot of relationships here in these letters. And um, a lot of, I mean, this, it blows my mind to think about what these three years were like in the growth of the early church. It's just really cool. Um, The Holy Spirit was doing amazing things. And people's lives were being changed. And it was, it was taking over the area. 
Um, even before he gets to Ephesus, people in the towns, I mean, I think it was, uh, I think it was in uh, Berea, they, they said, these people who are turning the world upside down have come here. They've arrived. And we don't want them here. The, the message they're bringing is, is upending whole cities, whole communities. That definitely happened in Ephesus, right? Uh, remember the, uh, the riot about the, uh, the silversmiths who made idols to Athena. And um, let me just read a little bit of that. About that time, um, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. This is uh, verse 23 of chapter 19 of Acts. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia... This Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world Worship. So why, why, why focus on that so much? Why spend so much time on that? The message of the letter to the Colossians is, can basically be boiled down to this. The gospel of Jesus Christ turns the world upside down. The gospel of Jesus Christ turns you as an individual upside down and changes everything about you. And once it does, then you have now become a different kind of human being. And your growth and development as that kind of new human being Um, boils down to understanding that gospel that turned you upside down. Understanding it in deeper and deeper ways. And the deeper you understand it, the more you you grasp it, the more mature you become in Christ. And that's what Paul is saying. He said that this gospel has gone out. You guys have seen it change the world. You know what happened in Ephesus. You know about the riots. You know that we're getting run out of town after town because people don't want this message here, this truth. But you also have seen it. You've seen this message change lives. And you yourselves, your lives have been changed by this message. And so to get a picture of the way that the gospel is is spreading, and it's not just like a, a new religion is proliferating. I mean, the Holy Spirit is changing entire cities. 
and at least or at least causing entire cities to be confronted with wrestling with this truth, with this message. Okay. So chapter one and how we're going to work through this book, I think, is I'm going to take tonight basically to, to talk about the first part of chapter one. And we and we just touched on the last part of chapter four. So kind of the, the bookends. And I think we're going to kind of work our way then in in the middle sections, kind of the last part of chapter one through uh, first third of chapter two. We're going to kind of work through that way, not really chapter by chapter, uh, but more section by section. And so today um, we're just going to be looking at the first part of chapter one and the final part of chapter four. We'll kind of work our way to, to the middle after that. All right, so let's just let's start reading. Chapter one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. This classic Paul dense writing, okay? He has just said, faith in Christ Jesus, love for the saints, and hope laid up for you in heaven. There's his, his classic three-part you know, essentials, faith, hope, and love. Okay? We saw that in 1 Thessalonians as well. Your steadfastness of faith, labor of love, um, or no, your works of faith, steadfastness of works of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. And here he greets them in a similar way. And this is, they've believed. The message has come, and faith is the response to the message. I believe that. I hear the gospel. I hear the story of this man, Jesus, who was the Messiah promised to the Jews, who came and, rather than start a political revolution, he actually got up on a cross and died. And was buried. And God said, I'm going to tell you once and for all that this was the one. This is the one. This is the chosen one. This is the Messiah. This is the new kind of human being that I am now recreating all human beings in the image of. I'm going to prove that to you and vindicate his life and his obedience and his death by raising him from the dead. When the father raised Jesus from the dead... It told the whole world that this was, in fact, him. Right? That is the father's apologetic for his son, Jesus. The resurrection. What's your argument? How can you convince? Well, let's watch him come up out of the grave. That's how you know. <laughs> That's how you know that he's the one. So they've heard it. They put their faith in the Messiah, Jesus. They believe that he's the one. They put all their eggs in that basket. And that's the faith that they have. And because of that, they have been transformed and they now love, they've been turned outward in love to the fellow members of the household of God, the saints. 
And as they do that, we talked a lot about in the Thessalonian letters, hope. Hope for the future. Hope of the coming of of Christ. Hope for no matter what happens in this life, no matter what persecution may come, God vindicates those who are faithful to him. And Jesus is just the first fruits of that. He was the firstborn, as it says here in chapter 1, of many brothers. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So he's writing to them and he's saying, I'm not going to tell you anything new. I'm going to tell you that what I, what the essence of what I have to say you've already heard. But what I want to share with you is maybe some implications of that word of truth that you received and put your, maybe some implications that you didn't even realize. You don't realize how deep and how significant the thing that you've put your faith in, you don't really realize how deep it is. It wasn't just the beginning of this new thing. It's the entirety of it. Does that make sense? And so he's, he's going to say, all I'm going to tell you is things about something you already know. Things about a work that has already happened to you. And that's a pretty cool thing to think about. That when the, when, when the gospel comes, when you, when you put your faith in Jesus and you are delivered and, and, and you repent and he saves you, then everything that you need to become that kind of human being in the image of Jesus, everything you need has already been given to you in its fullness. And the rest of our lives are just a maturing process, maturing into that which has already been given to us. Right? It's a seed that has been planted. And Paul says, I don't think you understand what this seed is getting ready to do in your life and in your, in your community. Um, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, and it doesn't really look significant. But when it is full grown, I mean, it's big enough, and the birds can come and make their homes in its branches. And he's saying, this is, this is the mystery of the kingdom. He said, you don't understand this thing that has happened to you is of cosmic eternal significance for you and for the whole world. He says, it's come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. So the word has gone out, the seed has gone out, and we're beginning, we are beginning to see the first fruits of this. Bearing fruit and increasing. And there's a vision of it starts and it never really stops. It's a work that has begun that will always continue. Right? The, the path of the righteous is like the path of the, noon, of the sun, ever brighter until noonday. And he's saying, this thing, we're just getting started, church. We're just getting started. As it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. The minute you heard it and you said, that's, that's true. Something started. And I want to tell you more about what it is that started when you heard the gospel and believed it. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, this guy, what a great guy. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. 
He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So Epaphras has been going back and forth. He's been reporting to Paul. He might have been the one that kind of alerted Paul's attention to the fact that there was a church in Colossae. He's like, hey, Paul, we got this thing going on. The Holy Spirit's been moving. Will you, will you come and, and give shape to it? Maybe, maybe teach us some things that we need to know. And so from the day we heard that God's, God was doing something in Colossae, we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking, and what he's going to ask is not that they, would un, that they would respond to the gospel, but they would understand the gospel that they've already received. All right? And I, this is why I love Colossians, because it's, it's a letter for people who affirm and believe and put their trust in the gospel. But it's a letter for people who um, need to know that there is really no end to that, to that work in your life. There's no end. There's no bottom to the, to the well of the gospel that's, that's already in your heart. It's already in your lives. God's doing something. There's great work happening. Um, here, I'm here in prison. I'm getting all these reports about the Colossian church. And so we're praying for you, he says. The team here is praying for you. That you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he prays that their knowledge of what they've received already would increase and come to fullness. And the result isn't just a greater understanding, but the result is this. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. As understanding increases, your life conforms to that which you understand. In a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So Paul's concern is the ever-increasing maturity of the church in Colossae. And the source of that maturity, he says, isn't coming from me. The source of maturity is something you already have, already possess. I just want to tell you how to access it, grow in it, understand it more deeply. So the source of their growth, their maturity as a church is in the word that they received. And um, we will pick up in chapter 1. We're going to go through. The, so the source of their growth and maturity is in the word that they received in the gospel. The core of the gospel is the person of Jesus. And that's where he's going to start. So here's what he says. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Here's what's happened, Colossians. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. We were a certain kind of human. We were a certain kind of creature. And he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We've changed locations. We've changed, um, uh, we've changed address. We, we now live in a completely different 
Not just a different area of the same place. We live in a completely different place. A completely different way of life. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then he's going to launch into this uh, glorious description about the person of Jesus. And that's because understanding the gospel in its fullness rests on understanding Jesus and knowing him in his fullness. All right? So all of what you need is in that word of truth that you heard. And all of, the, all of that word of truth that you heard revolves around Jesus. And it's very similar to the book of Ephesians, where he builds up and builds up. And he, again, in that letter too, he prays that they would have understanding of this thing that God has done in Jesus. And at the end of chapter 3, he comes to this place that you would know basically stuff that's even too big to know. That you would be able to comprehend that which is beyond comprehension. Be filled with, to know the love of Christ, he says, which passes understanding. And here in in Colossians, he says, I want you to know this thing and know Jesus, who is the central the central truth of the word of the gospel. All right. And so he's going to begin this, this uh, amazing, and you got to work your way through it pretty slow because he says some really big things about who Jesus is. And that's where he wants to go first. He says, Hey, your, your road forward church is to go deep, deep, deep into the person of Christ and know him. And know him as the Father knows him. And know him, as, uh, know him for the reasons that the Father sent him. And the work that he gave him to do. And once you understand that, then you will join, then he talks about his own ministry. You will join those who, in response to knowing Jesus, are themselves pouring out their lives for the work of the church. And the proclamation of the gospel. And so he gets all the way to chapter 2, and he says this. And this is really the overall overarching theme of the letter. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, And the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's it. When you know Christ, you know everything. When you know Christ, you know you've accessed all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so how do we, you know... How do we receive that as a church? I think we just need to ask ourselves, where do I, where do I, what's the source of my growth? What's the source of my maturing as a Christian? Is it anything other than the person of Christ? 
Because sometimes it is. We look to different places for growth. We look to different places to increase wisdom. We look to different places to increase knowledge. But Paul wants to tell this church, there is one place. There is one person in whom are hidden all the riches, all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. You want to grow? You want to be more uh, pleasing to God? Do you want to um, be more the kind of human being that God desires? Do you want to know his will, it says? You have to look at Christ. And that's the only place. That's all. We don't... Start with Christ, and then we add in this and this and this. No, it's, it's all Christ. And if our sources of wisdom and knowledge aren't sources that are simply pointing us more to Jesus Christ, then they're drawing us away from that. Okay, So he's going to talk about, there are some teachings that are floating around. Here's how you, um, here's how you get control of your body. Right? Here's how you discipline your fleshly desires. And it's just these external observances. And Paul says, listen, that doesn't mature you. That might, you know, get you some outward kind of looking more religious, but that's not making you more like Jesus. All right. And so he's going to confront some of these teachings that maybe well-intentioned believers were reaching out for to increase in wisdom, to increase in, in self-control or whatever. But he says, you've got to understand, if the, if the center of those isn't Christ, they're empty. It's self-made religion. And they're of no use in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They simply transfer the indulgence of the flesh onto a, onto a new thing. All right? So it's a challenging word. It's a challenging word for us. Yeah, so it's the empty traditions and philosophies of the world, but it's also the religious observances and the, and the kind of religiosity that can become a source of comfort and hope for us as we, as we imagine ourselves maturing. But he says, no, don't, don't, get, uh, don't sell out to any of those. Christ has to be the center. And then, uh, so that's basically his message. That the gospel is the source of maturity. That Christ is the center of the source of the gospel. And any progress we make, any maturity um, that we achieve as believers comes only from deepening our knowledge and understanding of Christ and from nowhere else. Amen? All right, so that kind of gives us a good orientation to the letter. And um, so I want to encourage you to read it you know, several times each of the, you know, over the course of, of the week. It doesn't take very long. Um, we've started just uh, making our, um, in our home group, we've started, as the letters have gotten short enough to read in a single sitting together, we've just made it a part of our home group, and it's been really good. Uh, rather than kind of sharing a new word, we just, you know, he says, see to it that you read these letters 
in the churches in the house. I was like, okay, well, pretty clear. Pretty clear instruction for how to handle this, this stuff. So maybe uh, read it in your home groups. Read it in your families. Um, just read it in your own quiet time, in your own devotional time. And have that framework in mind, uh, what Paul is calling them to. And I think it's going to challenge us. It's going to challenge us to um, to see things where, where we wouldn't normally look to see things that we need to see. Does that make any sense whatsoever? I think we are quick to... We're quick, we're quick to look elsewhere when we, when, we are, when we become aware of an area of our life that needs maturing. I know this is true for me, and I think it's probably true for, for a lot of people in this body of believers. That we look for um, advice or counsel. Um, but in that, we're, we're seeking just a fix to a need that we've discovered in our lives. A fix to a problem. And, well, how do we fix this? Um, and we kind of want to get over it. Like, all right, well, this is, a, this is an immaturity that I have. I'm gonna, let's fix it. How do we fix it? What's the technique? You know, what's the discipline? What's the... You know, two scriptures that I can memorize and it fixes that problem in my life. It's not like that. Right? Because the point isn't to self-help our way through life. The point is to become more and more like Jesus. And if we're, if we're trying to progress in our faith with kind of a, a secular self-help mentality... Um, which is very sneaky, by the way. You know, it can be very religious and even very devout sounding. But if our goal isn't ultimately to meet Christ, then those really aren't fixes at all. And it's not maturity at all. It's really just kind of assimilation or conformity. Does that make sense? And so Paul is after the genuine maturing. Not the, um, and I think there's probably people among them that are leading the charge in a more conforming mentality and assimilating. And just take on these outward markers and you'll be one of us. And Paul says, no, it's got to be Christ. Leave that aside. It's got, it has to be centered on Jesus. Because he's the only one that brings real change. And because the Father put all his eggs in that basket. So we should too. Um, and salvation is in no one else. Maturing is in no one else. Does that make sense? So it's a challenge to, no, stop. Don't, don't get a fix. Seek Jesus. Seek Jesus. And I think we're, we're good to uh, uh, take God at his word. Well, you said all wisdom and all knowledge were in Jesus. And I think if we really believe that, we'll find it. We'll see what we need to see in Jesus. We'll see what we need to see in the Word. And it will be revealed to us. 
We don't really believe it. Um, but we have to develop to we have to develop the patience and the waiting and the perseverance and the trust to sit with this truth. It's only in Jesus. If I'm going to find it, I'm going to find it in Jesus. And that's hard to do. It's really hard to do in our distracted age, in our information age. It's very hard to do because there's even a lot of good information out there. Biblical information. That's not ultimately what changes us. It is the person of Christ working by the Holy Spirit in us. He says, put on Christ. Don't put on a set of characteristics of Christ. Put on the person of Christ. And so this, this, I think this will challenge us. And I'm looking forward to it. Um, to not so quickly think we've got the path forward figured out in our lives. Amen? All right.